Hello everyone, my name is Reese Garlinski and this is Young History, episode 112 on Jordan. The capitalist country is Amman, and Jordan takes its name from the Jordan River, which forms much of the country's northwestern border. There are several theories for the origin of the river's name, but it is most plausible that it derives from the Hebrew word Yerad, which means the descender, reflecting on the river's huge decline as you get deeper and deeper into it. And everyone knows about the most famous site about Jordan's history. This is the ancient city of Petra. But Jordan has over 100,000 archaeological sites in its borders outside of just this one because of the fact that humans have been living here for longer than almost anywhere else in the rest of the world. And another thing is that Jordan also has the lowest point in the entire world. The Dead Sea, despite its name, is actually 1,200 feet or more below sea level. There's a whole lot of history to get into with Jordan, so I'm really not going to dilly-dally any longer than I need to because understanding this country can only be done by understanding its history, as it is with most of them, but very, very true with this one, among many others. So we're going to get right into it, and I just wanted to say, as always, thank you guys so much for being here. And on top of that, my name is Reese Karlinski, this is Young History, and this is Jordan. Let's do this thing. Origins begin a long, long time ago. That is because archaeological evidence suggests that the region of modern-day Jordan has been inhabited since at least the Paleolithic era, with evidence of human activity dating back tens of thousands of years even before that. Nomadic tribes and early settlements are believed to have thrived across the area. Ain Ghazal became the center of civilization in Stone Age Jordan. There have been skeletons of people and the skeletons of cities discovered nationwide. It was at the same time as the Al-Ghazal was spreading its influence as a major civilization that the city of Amman was actually established back in 7250 BC, which means that was over 9,000 years ago from the current date of this recording. And of course, that makes it one of the oldest cities in the world. In the early Bronze Age, the area that is now Jordan saw the rise of several important settlements and cultures, as well as cities and towns beginning to develop all over the place. Archaeological sites like Bab Edinzah and Tal al-Ghmari in modern-day Jordan reveal evidence of early urbanization, pottery production, and trade networks. The Dead Sea Scrolls, which contain some of the oldest surviving texts of the Hebrew Bible, also known as the Old Testament, were discovered in the vicinity of the Dead Sea in caves that have been inhabited throughout this period. In the Intermediate Bronze Age, which is from roughly 2000 to 1550 BC, the period was marked by a decline in urbanization and the collapse of many of the Bronze Age settlements. This is considered a transitional phase, but the cultural practices that we could see through the continued use of pottery and other things like that, such as wall paintings, show that despite the change, there still was a lot of settlement patterns and cultural patterns still in place. During the Middle Bronze Age, which was 5050 to 1200 BCE, there was a resurgence of urbanization and the development of regional trade centers continued. Important sites like Tel Di Allah and Tel Hispan were inhabited during this period. This showed signs of trade, agriculture, and cultural development happening at the time. And the region was eventually influenced by neighboring cultures, including the Egyptian kingdom and Mesopotamia. Speaking of ancient Egypt, they actually invaded around 1580 BC and encapsulated the land into the empire. And Egyptian rule influenced the culture here heavily. Jordan can be 
inferred as a country that was talked about by many of the Egyptian hieroglyphics. And in Jordan, not only are there Egyptian hieroglyphics found, but there are also remnants of Egyptian gold, influence from the pharaoh, architectural things that represent Egypt more than it does other Levant region countries, all sorts of things like that. After Egyptian rule, we get into the Iron Age of Jordan. During this time, three Jordanian kingdoms came to power. There was the kingdom of Amman, the kingdom of Edom, and the kingdom of Moab. In the kingdom of Amman, there were the Ammonites. The Ammonites are mentioned in the Bible as descendants of Lot, and their kingdom had interacted with the Israelis. The city of Rabath Amman is notably mentioned in the biblical text. The kingdom of Amman was also known for its fortified cities, its agriculture, and its polytheistic religions that were practiced by the people. It was involved in many conflicts and alliances with the kingdom of Israel and other powers around the area. Edom is mentioned frequently in the Bible, and its relationship with the Israelis is a recurring theme. The Edomites were descendants of Esau, the twin brother of Jacob, according to biblical tradition. Edom controlled important trade routes, including the King's Highway, which connected Egypt with Mesopotamia. This strategic location made them a significant player in regional trade. Edom's fortunes fluctuated over the centuries. It faced invasions and conquests by various empires, including the Neo-Assyrians and the Babylonians. Eventually, the Nabataeans, a later Arab tribe, absorbed Edom's territory. We're going to talk more about them right after this. The kingdom of Moab, just like the other two kingdoms, clashed with Israel heavily, but Moab was able to win a war against the Israelites. Moab was also mentioned in the Bible a lot, and Moabites had their own distinct culture and religion. They were known for their agriculture, including wine vineyards and farming. And they thrived because of the fact that this is in the Fertile Crescent, which is that one part of the Middle East, despite all the sand and deserts, that is extremely agriculturally sound and rich because the soil was very good. Moab was also strategically located among great trade routes, and it formed alliances and sometimes conflicts with neighboring kingdoms, including Israel and Amman. Moab also faced invasions by great powers, and the first ones would be the Neo-Assyrians. Under Assyrian rule, the Assyrians began to extend their influence into the region of Jordan during the 9th century BCE. They established control over territories in north and central Jordan, including over cities like Amman and Gilead. The Assyrians left their mark on the region through architectural and engineering projects. They built fortifications, roads, and administrative centers to maintain control and facilitate communication across the empire. Assyrian rule was not without resistance. Local populations, including the Israelites and Samaria, occasionally rebelled against Assyrian control. This led to many punitive actions taken by the Assyrian rulers, and after this, the Assyrian Empire faced its own decline in the late 600s BCE. The empire's capital, Nineveh, was sacked in 1612 BCE by a coalition of Babylonians and Medes, and this led to the eventual fall of the entire empire. The Babylonians, led by King Nebuchadnezzar II, conquered the kingdom of Judah and the city of Jerusalem in 586 BCE. By this point, they had established full control over the Levant region and extended its reach to make it part of the Babylonian Empire. Many Judahites were deported out of the Levant region to Babylon during this period, in an event known as the Babylonian Captivity. This had a significant impact on the Jewish diaspora and the religious development of the region. The Babylonians controlled important trade and communication routes that passed through Jordan, and this enhanced their influence over the region. The Babylonian Empire itself fell to the Persian Empire, which was led by Cyrus the Great in 539 BCE. This marked the end of the Babylonian rule in Jordan and the broader region. The Persians, once in power, implemented a system of provincial administration. 
They organized the region into satrapies or provinces, and Jordan was part of the satrapy of Ibernar. The Persian rulers were generally known for their policy of religious tolerance because they allowed the local populations to retain their customs, religion, and languages. The Persian period saw the return of some Jewish exiles who had been deported to Babylon during the Babylonian captivity. This marked the beginning of a Jewish community in the region. While Persian rule was relatively stable, there were occasional challenges and revolts, particularly by the Greek city-states along the Mediterranean coast. The Achaemenid Empire was eventually conquered by Alexander the Great in the 4th century BCE, which led to the transition to Hellenistic rule in the region. Greek and Macedonian settlers arrived in the area. They established cities with Greek-style architecture and pushed the Greek culture throughout the region. One of the most prominent cities was Pella in northern Jordan. After Alexander's death in 323 BCE, his empire was divided among his generals, leading to the creation of the Hellenistic kingdoms. The Ptolemaic kingdom in Egypt and the Seleucid empire in the Levant, including Jordan, were two of the most significant. The Hellenistic period witnessed a blending of Greek and local cultures, which resulted in a syncrasy of culture across the region. Greek language, art, and philosophy influenced local traditions heavily. In the first century BCE, the Roman Republic expanded its control over the eastern Mediterranean, including Jordan, and this region became part of the Roman province of Greater Arabia. It would also be during this time that the Nabataeans moved into the land of Jordan. The Nabataeans were great tradesmen and became very rich, and it was the Nabataeans that created the modern wonder of Petra. It had one of the most advanced irrigation systems in the world, and that's why it survived in the desert it lived in. And for those of you that haven't seen pictures of Petra, Petra is incredible. It's literally like cities carved out of giant desert mountains. It's incredible. The level of the architecture is better than a lot of stuff we see today, and it's on par with stuff you see from Michelangelo in Rome. It's incredible. And speaking of Rome, Trajan was actually the emperor that led ancient Rome into the Levant region around 100 CE and conquered Jordan fully. The Romans brought a lot of technology and infrastructure improvements to the region. They also brought Christianity, which caught on very well. This is proven by the remains of the Akaba church, which seems to be one of the oldest churches in human history. Byzantium and Persia battled for control of the Levant region throughout the next few centuries. As the war went on between each of these powers, influence from both touched Jordan. Byzantium was fighting for the sake of continuing the Roman Empire because Western Rome had fallen in 476 CE, and Persia was just trying to expand its rule and culture across the region. The Persians also pushed forth Zoroastrian beliefs and attempted to sink Persian culture into not only Jordan, but everywhere around it. Khalid ibn al-Walid was the first man to lead an Arabic caliphate into the land, and it was at the Battle of Yarmouk in 636 that the Byzantines were defeated and the control of Jordan was passed to the Rashidun Caliphate. After the Rashidun, there would be both the Umayyad and Abbasid Caliphates, and finally, the Fatimid Caliphate. And the major thing with all of these caliphates was that they established even greater trade routes and architectural structure within Jordan. Great mosques and other great things were built up, but on top of the trade in that, the most important things was the spread of Islam. Islam was not only introduced by the original caliphate of the Rashidun, but it was spread heavily throughout Jordan and emphasized as the main religion for the region throughout all the caliphates. And it would be at the end of the Fatimid Caliphate's rule that the early Crusades started to affect Jordan and they actually caused the creation of Ultra Jordan. This was a region of the Levant that was held by the Crusaders as a foothold next to the Holy Land. And the Crusaders built massive fortresses here as part of the plan to hold power in the region. Next would be the rule of the Mamluk Sultanate. 
the Mamluks undertook architectural projects in Jordan, including the repair and restoration of fortifications, bridges, and other great projects across the nation. The Mamluks were known for their patronage of religious institutions and scholarship. They funded the construction and renovation of mosques, Islamic schools, and other religious buildings. Mamluk rule saw a flourishing of art, culture, and scholarship in the region. This era witnessed the production of fine ceramics, textiles, and a lot of manuscript writing. Mamluk rule in Jordan faced various challenges. One of the major ones was internal conflict and the external threats that were happening at the same time. In 1516, in wake of some protests and struggle to maintain Jordan by the Mamluks, the Ottoman Empire moved in in 1516. They were led by Sultan Selim I. They defeated the Mamluks in battle at Marj Tabik, which effectively ended Mamluk rule in Jordan and the wider Levant. The Ottoman Empire established a hierarchical administration system. Jordan was divided into smaller administrative units known as sanjaks or districts, each governed by an appointed official. The Ottomans imposed heavy taxation systems and started to enact a policy of widespread military conscription. This was met by resistance and uprisings across Jordan and other parts of the Levant. The Ottoman Empire entered a period of decline throughout the 1700s and 1800s. This decline had economic and political repercussions in Jordan. Local nobles and clans gained more autonomy, and this led to a degree of self-government in certain areas. Despite any cultural things that came with the Ottomans, like the advancement of architecture, agriculture, and kind of a consolidation of the system, Ottoman rule was looked upon very unfavorably by the Jordanians. This became clear in the early 1900s revolts, known as the Shaubak Revolt and the Karak Revolt. They happened in 1900, 1905, and 1910. They were all massive countrywide protests that started in Amman and found some success in challenging the Ottoman Empire, but did not find success in changing it. Despite the support for both these revolutions, there was no actual change that came with them, and they were heavily suppressed by the Ottomans in a violent, murderous manner, which led to the deaths of over 10,000 protesters from Jordan. After the 1915 protest known as the Karak Revolt, we would roll right into World War I. The suppression during the revolts didn't quell the flame of anger from the Jordanians. So, when World War I broke out, Jordanians happily fought against the Ottomans anywhere they could. The Arab Revolt became the name of this great resistance, because many Arab nations and their people were now fighting alongside the British and the Allied powers against the Ottomans for control of their region. One of the most significant events during World War I for the Middle East was the Battle of Aqaba in 1917. It was a surprise attack from Jordanians and other resistant Arab forces against the Ottoman-held port. It was led by Auda Abu Tayy and the famous Lawrence of Arabia. This battle was successful, and by the end of the war, the Ottomans were defeated. The Emirate of Transjordan was not established as an independent state, but more as a province of Britain. It was held internally by Abdullah bin Hussein, also known as Abdullah I. Then, from 1922 to 1924, we saw the Ikhwan raids on Transjordan. They were an attempt at a retaliation by the British Air Force against the invasions of Transjordan that were led by the Saudi forces. And after years of back and forth and the end of World War II, Transjordan eventually gained independence. It was fully gained from Britain in 1946, with Abdullah I recognized as first king. He was part of the Hashemite dynasty that was in control of Transjordan and Iraq at the same time. Good relations with Britain were maintained under Abdullah I's rule. The British were heavily influential over the military of Transjordan and the Arab army. British officers took tactical roles as leaders in the Arab fighting forces. 
And the next major thing that would totally shape the rest of the history for Jordan, in reaction to the establishment of Israel, a coalition of Arab forces came together to challenge the existence of the new Jewish state a day after it was formed. Despite the fact that Jordan, Syria, Egypt, the forces of Saudi, and Iraq were all standing in opposition to Israel, Israel was able to resist, and it actually expanded its control in the region by 60%. But Transjordan was able to use its well-organized military to take control of eastern Jerusalem and the West Bank. Once both were formally annexed, the Jordan River was officially under control of the Jordanians, so the name of the country was officially changed from Transjordan to Jordan. This caused the population to triple, as a lot of new immigrants were coming from Palestine because of the flight from the war in Israel. Jordan was by far the most accepting of Palestinian immigrants in the Arab world, and Jordan also accepted Israel more than anyone else, which is very much a clash of desires. The stance of non-aggression against the Jewish state actually angered some Jordanians. So, in 1951, while Abdul I was visiting a mosque in Jerusalem, he was gunned down by a Palestinian extremist. Abdul I's son, Talal, inherited the throne of Jordan. Talal introduced a constitution to Jordan in 1952, but he was removed from power this same year because he showed clear signs of schizophrenia. His son, Hussein, was the next to inherit the throne. Hussein was actually present for the same attack that killed his grandfather, Abdullah I, because while his grandfather was being gunned down, he was also targeted. But when he was shot, a medal he was given by his grandfather actually deflected the bullet from hitting his chest, saving his life. So, Hussein gained the name the Boy King for his relatively young age compared to his predecessors, because Abdullah I was ancient and his father was also quite old for his time and power. Uh, the first thing Hussein had to deal with was the fact that across the region, there was a movement for end of traditional monarchies in the Middle East. And because of this, Jordan was pressured to join the Baghdad Pact that wasn't widely supported and caused a lot of clashes in Jordan. So, despite being forced to join it, Hussein actually rejected this plea and pledged to separate the country from its reliance on Britain and other Middle Eastern countries. Jordan's military was nationalized under Hussein when he replaced all British-held positions with Jordanian ones. Jordan also held its first election in ages and created the only democratically elected government it had ever held. The elected government started to heavily clash with the king, so the elected government was forced to dissolve. Nationalist versus loyalist clashes started to pop up nationwide. They got violent in no time, and armed groups emerged from each side. Syria even sent troops to support the anti-Hussein nationalists. Hussein was able to unite his army in the face of the revolt by making appearances on the front lines. The attempted coup that was happening was prevented. Hussein then ended political parties in Jordan because he felt they were a tool of dissent and disrupted unity in the country. The Hashemite Arab Federation was founded between Jordan and Iraq to challenge the newly created United Arab League between Egypt and Syria. This didn't last long because the Hashemite Federation was overthrown in Syria by armed groups that supported the very influential Nassar in Egypt. They executed the cousin of Hussein, who was the leader of Iraq. Hussein survived many attempts on his life, despite all the opposition groups that were forming against him. And while this was going on, Jordan was put in a tough position in the Israel conflict because they were an Arab nation that felt inclined to join the military pacts against Israel. So they did, but there were also many secret communications between Israel and Jordan that made them have a quiet relationship that was much more amicable and respectable than the rest. Jordan felt that aggression against Israel wouldn't be successful because of the lack of organization 
from the invading Arab nations, even though Jordan was a part of it. And this proved true with the Six Days War. The war saw Israel defeat the united front of Egypt, Jordan, and Syria in just six days. Israel invaded and occupied the West Bank, the Sinai Peninsula, and the Golan Heights, and this became an embarrassing defeat for Jordan and all the nations involved. Because of the fact that Israel pretty much established control over the entire region that was split between the Palestinians and Israel, there was a massive migration of Palestinians into Jordan once again, and this meant that Jordan was now the home base for the Palestinian Liberation Organization. This organization, also known as PLO, started to launch attacks on Israel from Jordan. This brought Jordan into the crosshairs of Israel, and it became very costly. This was seen most heavily in 1968, when Israel rolled its forces into Jordan to eliminate the PLO headquarters that was there. The Palestinians were actually backed by the Jordanian army, and this was a moment of pride for the army because during the Battle of Karameh in 1968, they were able to deal significant damage to Israeli forces and prevented them from achieving their objective of capturing or killing the PLO leader in Jordan. But after the conflict was over, a lot of dissent occurred between the PLO and the Jordanian government. The PLO started to launch attacks against Jordanian government officials in attempts to establish their own state. This event eventually became known as Black September and would be a conflict that lasted for a year, from roughly 1970 to 1971. Fighting went back and forth and killed a lot of civilians on top of all the people it killed who were soldiers. It resulted in the PLO members and supporters being exiled from Jordan. From here, the PLO would move as HQ to Lebanon. In wake of this, King Hussein started to push Jordan towards a position of peace and neutrality with many of the issues in the region. He allowed Jordan to only play a supporting role in the wars that Syria waged against Israel. Then, in 1988, Hussein declared that the West Bank was no longer connected to Jordan in order to allow the Palestinians there to establish their own state. This did start to brew into a greater issue, though, as those that lived in the West Bank lost their Jordanian citizenship, and this was greatly upsetting to most people in the region who had either family back in Jordan or a life back in Jordan. In 1989, great changes were brought to Jordan. Over the last few years, King Hussein had started to pursue better relations with the leader of Iraq, Saddam Hussein. This was very controversial because some saw it as a step towards uniting the region and others saw an act of aggression against the countries that were not close with Iraq. There were many protests over the economic decline that hit the country and these protests came with the call for democratic reform. King Hussein began making moves to change the country. He started to push forward ideals of democracy when he held an election. Then he started to pursue international change. In 994, King Hussein attended a meeting between Jordan and Israel that was brokered by the United States. It resulted in a peace treaty being signed between the two, and it ended over 46 years of war between Jordan and Israel. King Hussein would eventually die in the year 1999, but he left his throne to his son, Abdullah II. He launched many reforms that helped the economy stabilize and actually advanced more economically than many of its neighbors. He also helped expand democracy in the nation, so there wasn't a great effect on Jordan during the Arab Spring. The Arab Spring was the name given to the widespread protests that occurred across the Middle East in 2011. They called for widespread changes to the traditionalist systems of these nations. And throughout the later part of the 2000s that were getting closer to the modern age, which is 2023 for me, the Syrian civil war pushed over 1 million refugees into Jordan. And this changed a lot of systems because not only did it have to accept Syrian culture, but it also had to maintain Jordanian culture. And this led to a whole lot of different ups and downs, and of course, it made immigration a very big part of the political process. It becomes a thing that people run on and run against all the time. 
But Jordan was able to get through it and to this day still has a lot of great stability. And speaking of to this day, that gets us to the present, where Jordan has become one of the most stable countries in the Middle East and is one of the more peaceful because despite the fighting it was a part of against Israel, that is now behind them. And it seems that it isn't going to clash anytime soon with any of its greater neighbors. Jordan is now seen as a gem of peace in a war-torn region of the world. Today, Jordan has a high rating on the Human Development Index and is a powerhouse of industry and tech for the region. That pretty much gets us to the end, where I always like to leave it with a takeaway or mindset. And with Jordan, that's going to be lie low when you need to. This is a cheeky one. I haven't said something like this before. So I say that with Jordan because this country has consistently been under the heel of another power, be it all the way back with the Assyrians or Babylonians. And then throughout the ancient times, you have Rome that rolls eventually into Byzantium and then Persia and the Ottomans. And then from there, you start to get influence from getting swept up into United Arab military organizations against Israel, and that it gets influenced by Israel. There's a whole lot of things that go on. Despite all these things happening, Jordan is one of the few in this region to kind of do things that benefit itself without it being directly related to war. Jordan always kind of pursued different negotiations with other powers. That's why it was always kind of sought after by these other powers and was always being tossed around by them so commonly, taken over time and time again, because Jordan held great power in the region. Jordan has not only a lot of history, but it does have great resources, and its location puts it right next to the Jordan River and the Dead Sea and a whole lot of things that are very valuable. Culturally, it's valuable. Historically, it's valuable. Resource-wise, it's valuable. It's a very valuable nation. And Jordan knows that. The Jordanians and its politicians, kings, governors, everyone that's been in power has taken this idea where no matter what was going on, they'll try to take care of themselves first. We saw it in the 1900s when they challenged all the other Arab nations by making secret deals with Israel, and they were one of the early ones to sign peace treaties with Israel. And as of right now, I don't know of many outside of Egypt and Jordan that have done that because a lot of these countries have beef with Israel. And Jordan's continued to do a bunch of things. It's one of the more democratic nations in the region, despite holding on to some of its traditionalistic ties of kings and emirs and things of that sort. But despite that, Jordan is the one that's kind of doing the most good and steps forward without making the most noise. And the reason that it has had that success is because of the fact that it isn't making a lot of noise. Jordan isn't the strong military power here. It's not the oil juggernaut. It's not the one that's trying to make waves with what it does. It's just trying to take care of itself. And that's the reason they've had success. And because of that, I think you can apply that to yourself. There's many people who are loud and proud about everything they do. And one of the best examples of it, I see, is with what Joe Burrow said about a lot of the kind of summer warriors that you see in pro sports, which is guys that literally won't see any field time but post their 40-yard dash time and post them working out all summer, except for there's a difference. There's guys like them, and then there's the Joe Burrows, there's the Josh Allens, there's Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, the guys where even if they get praise, they don't need to do any of the speaking for themselves. They're all just out there running they're working, and we know it, and we know it by the way they play on the field. You can say that with a bunch of sports. Nobody needed to interview Kobe Bryant and say, oh, are you working hard? Kobe didn't need to take a selfie of him in the gym. You knew Kobe Bryant was putting in all the reps. Steph Curry does it with his three-point shooting. You could say this with all sorts of things sport-wise. You could say it with all sorts of areas of life where the people who are the loudest and proudest and the way people define them is, oh, yeah, that's the guy that I know is working right now, and he posts himself working all the time, and he makes it very much known that he's working hard as opposed to letting your results speak for yourself. Jordan does this very well, this country. I know we're just talking about sports, but back to Jordan the country. Jordan does this very well because on paper, we could just see the success. 
It's been stable for longer than a lot of the Middle East has. It has less wars. It's dealt with a lot less instability, uprisings, things of that sort, especially in the last 20 years. And it's consolidated its power heavily to become a very stable nation, economically, peace-wise, politically. You could apply that to yourself, as we've been saying, because you could apply that to yourself because now that you see this country could do it, just grind in silence. Do all your stuff with other people knowing because Jordan could have gotten influenced many times. If it was saying out loud, I want to pursue peace with Israel, they probably would have gotten invaded, bombed, wiped off the face of the earth by the other countries that didn't agree with. You could apply that to you. If you think about the fact that nobody cares what you're doing to make yourself succeed, they just want to find a way to bring you down. It's just true. It doesn't matter if it's your friends, your family, all that. As long as on paper you are checking the boxes you need to to make sure people are not checking you or checking on you and seeing if you're okay or seeing if you're doing what you're supposed to, as long as you're checking the boxes to keep your life going, do the rest in silence. Be hush mode about it. Don't post about it. Only do what you need to to get by and become better because end of the day, your results should speak for you, not you. You shouldn't have to say, hey man, look at me. I'm working out hard. Hey man, look at me. I'm putting a lot of work into this. That's cool. That's great. But you know what everyone does when they see that? They roll their eyes and say, you're probably not going to make it and move on doesn't do that is when you just work and work and work then all of a sudden you have success after years of putting things in all of a sudden the people who didn't know you were grinding who didn't know what you were up to now see you on the covers of things see you on tv see you on all this shit and that's important because at the end of the day your results should speak for yourself and that's what happens in jordan and that's what you should do with yourself so it's kind of something i'm trying to maintain and think about a lot right now and i think it'll help you guys too so if it did i very much hope you guys enjoy i very much thank you for being here and i'm very glad that you listened so i hope you either got a good part of that takeaway i know i talked a lot so i hope it was worth it or you enjoyed something about jordan's history or we're just glad to be here so for whatever one of those ones are i thank you very much i'm glad you're here it does mean a lot i know i put you through a whole lot of me talking but i feel like it's worth it some of the time so glad you guys are here and one more time, my name is Reese Garlinski. This is Young History, and that was Jordan. You guys have a good one.